Welcome to the Gals Guide to the Galaxy podcast, where a group of gals gather for you one cool thing around our topic of the month. Is it ancient history? Is it breaking news? Is it safe for work? Well, that's up to each gal. All we know is that... Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Welcome back. I'm Barb, and I am joined by Bonnie, Leah, and Katie. Uh, we're talking about one cool culinary gal. Uh, Katie already talked with us about the barefoot Contessa, Ina Garden. Um, but before we dive back in, Leah is going to tell us what's on the docket for Gal's Guide on the calendar this upcoming week. That's right. So for week two of February, February 13th through the 19th. Now, we are not normally open on a Tuesday, uh, but join us for Valentine's Day this Tuesday, February 14th. We're going to be open from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. as the whole campus is going to be glowing with activities for couples and for singles. Gal's Guide will have a wonderful empowerment activity that will be available for all on Wednesday, February 15th, the Writers Galaxy will meet up at the Gals Guide Library at 4:30. Then on Thursday, February 16th, Film Club is going to be talking about two amazing historical ladies. We're going to talk about Julie and Julia. Ooh. So it's a movie about Julia Child and Julie Power. So join us online or in person at 5:30. And then Saturday, Tara Circle continues with our book study of Wisdom Rising by Lama Trissa Maloney. If you are interested in Buddhism or a seasoned practitioner, we have room for you in our circle. So for these and all these other amazing events on our calendar, check out galsguide.org. So I think you might have a rando question for us, Barb. I do. I do have a rando question that kind of goes with Sweet. Culinary Month. Um, so for the gals that are joined us today, what has, what has been your most favorite dining experience or your least favorite dining experience? So do you have something over the top? Do you have something that's you know, that you just wouldn't consider going back to. Uh, it could be it could be good or bad based on people, places, food, service. Trail. What, yeah. Dun, what are you dun, thinking, dun. Bonnie? <laughs> <laughs> Bonnie's just face is. <laughs> if you need yeah. time, I do have... I've oh. heard this oh. rumor yeah. that you always go first. So. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> right. See? The, dun, dun, um... I don't know. I don't think I have really any like super awesome ones or super terrible ones. But usually, if there's like pizza there, oh yeah, I'm good. See, like something with something with melty cheese. Mm-hmm. Nice, yeah. nice. What are you chasing See? that down with? What are you drinking with that? Uh, usually, I mean, you got to do like soda. Like you can't do water with pizza. <laughs> I think right. you right. got to do like, like a right. soda yeah. or a beer. See, or you know, if you're me, it's usually. Um, Alcoholic beverage is usually the the cider. Oh yes, that's right. Very good. Very Do good. you have a preference on wood fired or not? Because Josh like is obsessed about wood fired pizza. Um, not really. Okay, gotcha. Um, no, I like it. Or you're like, I'll take just any whatever. kind of pizza. Just whatever like pizza. Whatever. Or I just I'll want like, some um, bread and cheese. <laughs> calzones. Yeah. Or Yums. yeah. Because I'm I'm that dude from Parks and Rec, apparently. <laughs> Watch it the whole Sweet. time. I'm like, what's wrong with calzones? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with calzones. You can have a many different ways that folded pizza. Calzones or uh, like pepperoni breadsticks. Yes. Stuffed I used breadsticks. To, yum. Every mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. every day in college class, I would go to the cafeteria and mm-hmm. get. Uh, Get you a pepperoni slice. breadsticks. Oh, pepperoni breadsticks. Because no one could stop me. I'm an adult now. 
I can eat Sweet. what I want to eat. Exactly. Nope. Very nice. And nobody came and smacked your hands. Nope. nope. Yeah, you're good. You're nope. good. They just took your money. Right. <laughs> yep. Right. Didn't Fair push. enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Leah, Katie. Do you want me to go or do you want to go? I have a lot, so I'm trying yeah. to keep it brief. You don't have to. <laughs> you guys don't want to hear about it for this long. I, I mean, we do. a lot of really fancy, really nice places. I'm really lucky. Sweet. My whole family is kind of like a foodie, and I think my parents' nice. um, hobby is eating out together. Yeah, there you go. So we are nice. connoisseurs Yes, of this. that's the word but, I was going um, for, yes. <laughs> but one of my favorite experiences um, was for my parents' anniversary. They invited us to come with them to this fancy downtown Cincinnati hotel where there's this restaurant called the Palm Court. Ooh. And I've, I've actually been there. You've been there. Oh, yep. look at that. I've, that I've, never, connection. I've yeah. never held court at the Palm right. Court. It's, oh. like, it's, it's at the Omni Hotel, like, right? Yes, oh. and it's so fancy. Yes, and it's fan like, you with you, the palm fronds. Do you do it, the right way? There's a lot of palm fronds. <laughs> I didn't get fanned by any, but oh, I do right. remember the palm fronds. But it's a beautiful historic hotel, so I love old homes and historic things so it's, it's very um swanky 1920s like roaring 20s theme to it nice. so it's gorgeous but they always do a tasting menu so it's Ooh. like a multitude yes. of courses yes. well that's one of the things you can do is yeah. do that I like um it. they made amazing old-fashioned so it was just like being with our family and then having that slow dinner and sampling and trying mm -hmm. fancy things was super cool um, the other one I have to mention is here in Noblesville, we have 9th Street Bistro. Oh, yes. Um, the chef yes. from there, Chef yes. Samir, was just nominated for a James Beard Award. Yes. And we actually had our wedding dinner there. Yeah, you did. And they made us an amazing vegan right. feast. Mm, so good. That I still dream about the coconut braised collard greens, and I've tried mm -hmm. to recreate them many times since, oh. but it was incredible. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm so happy for Samir and for <coughs> all of 9th Street, because yeah. it's amazing. Oh, gosh. Get yourself there. Yeah, absolutely. If you're in Noblesville, you got to go to 9th Street. It's so cute. Um, I have two as well. I couldn't really decide. Both of them have very weird experiences. Um, the They're both good, though. Okay. Um, so when I was a kid, there was a place called Flip's Cafe. And, um, have you been there, Barb? It was in um, <laughs> Grand Rapids, Michigan. No. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> it was flips as in record flips. Oh, so it was cool. a 50s-style diner, and it had girls on roller skates. So all oh, the waitress yeah. and waiter oh, staff yeah. were on roller skates. And as a kid, this was amazing, because I thought, you can have a job where you're on roller skates all day. Like, it was amazing. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> also, yes, I was that person who was watching them, waiting for them to fall. Like, I was, like, it was an excitement. Like, crash. am I going to get my food? Is somebody going to eat it? Like, oh, you know, people, like, get up from their booth, and they don't see that there's right, a waitress staff right. coming a million miles an hour. <laughs> so there's all these, like, you know, you can be an excellent roller skater, but they're still going to to be things that are going to happen so i just remember being like glued to my seat and loving everything and it was 50s music and they had a jukebox on the table and it was just really really cute it didn't last though so i think because it didn't last that long as a restaurant i was always just kind of sad that flip's cafe mm. didn't make it so did um, you ever see anybody wipe out yeah oh yeah Wow. <laughs> a plate full of drinks and everything. Oh it, was, my it was a customer's fault, too. So, like, yeah, it's usually it was almost always a customer's right, fault. Right. But, and then you could tell there was like the new person who right. was like, they didn't give them food, but they were taking orders and stuff. And it was so cute. And I just, I love them. 
Um, but yeah, and I thought that was going to be my job, but uh, they closed down. The other one is I never got to go to the Brown Derby in Hollywood. For uh, Brown mm, Derby is where a lot yeah. of the caricatures were. It's where a lot of movies happened and got made. There was always a phone uh, on the big booth. There was like a phone hmm. so that the studio could call you at your table when you're making these. Because most movie deals happened over lunch and they happened usually at the Brown Derby. Um, a lot of Casablanca was written at the Brown Derby. A lot of weird stuff. So, but... Disney World has a brown derby. And we went there for our honeymoon. And we told everybody we were going for a honeymoon. So we had martinis galore. And there was two ladies who were the characters were that were the pretend gossip artists. <laughs> and they came and they sat at our table for like 20 minutes. And Aww. we pretend gossiped about everybody in the restaurant. That's and fantastic. I know that they're Disney paid employees. But it was so much. It, it just felt like I was part of that. You know, that old kind of Disney, you know, it was the Disney magic, but it was also the Hollywood magic and stuff fun, like that. Very so. fun. Um, so I kind of got to do the Brown Derby and I learned how to make, oh, this ties into cooking. They had the Cobb salad. So the original Cobb salad was created at the Brown Derby, supposedly. It was Ty Cobb who said, throw in all these ingredients. Mm -hmm. And so they had a recipe card that I begged them for. And I got the recipe of how to make the Brown Derby Cobb salad. And I have remade it a couple of times. It has four different kinds of lettuce. Oh, my gosh. Why? Texture, crunch, and flavor. There you go. I just thought it was ridiculous and overly expensive, but I made it. (laughs) So, Barb, what is yours dining experience? So so mine's going to be on the bad side. Oh, uh, there you go. We, yes, were, no we were in Punta Cana for our 30th wedding anniversary, mm-hmm. and it was an all-inclusive resort. It had probably seven or nine restaurants, and, um, you know, when we showed up, you know, we tried to pick restaurants for every night, and we're like, mm-hmm. okay, so on our actual anniversary, which we celebrated while we were there, we're like, what's the nicest restaurant? Yes, yes. <clears throat> so yeah. they had us go to one of the restaurants uh, on the property, and it was a Michelin restaurant, Michelin mm-hmm. stars. Uh, apparently, that's supposed to be really good. It's and, supposed to be really um, good. So my husband and I were there. Another couple joined us. Um, the... The restaurant was phenomenal mm-hmm. in that everything was just beautiful on the inside. They put us in this like private alcove, mm-hmm. you know, two story, beautiful. The drinks came out, you know, with the dry ice, and and we were just, you know, ooing right. and aahing over everything. And then uh, the food started to come out. And I think, you know, Katie, you said your family's kind of foodies. This is when I realized I am not a foodie. <laughs> I'll be with Bonnie with the pizza and the beer Same. because mm-hmm. the food came out. Um, we really had um, a hard time understanding the, the wait staff. They would try to explain or interpret so one was called like scaly fish. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not <laughs> the marketing title right. for that. Um, but it tasted like scaly fish. Oh, and no. so uh, so for our anniversary, and we were there for like three hours because uh-huh. the courses, it was the tasting mm. menu. The courses kept coming. And I'm like, I, I just want to leave. Right. Like, I just want to leave. So, um, you know, it was one of those experiences that, you know, OK, we did that. Now let's go back and right. pop exactly. open the... Right after that, you're like, the where's the nearest up. pizza right. place, right? right. Exactly. Right. Let's bring this back down to we reality. Did, there was a really good Mexican place while we were there. So we're like, we'll just stop by, get some margaritas. Exactly. And we'll get, grab some tacos <laughs> and it'll be good. It's like, so, so we tried that. We did. <laughs> yeah. But three hours in, I was like, okay, we, we can really be done with dinner now. Is this now torture <laughs> with food? It was. It was really torture <laughs> with food. I was... 
<laughs> I was a little distraught. So <laughs> that is hilarious. Well, who do you have for All us, right. darling? I'm so, um, so this is it's kind of fun. I kind of stumbled on on this gal, um, and uh, born as Ruth Ann Udstad. Um, she was born into a family uh, of Alsatian descent. So that's where I think the German name okay, gotcha. comes from. Uh, Alsace is a territory in the eastern part of France, but it's really a um, a melting pot for mm-hmm. like French and German culture, food, language, oh, all of that okay. kind of thing. Gotcha. So it really uh, influenced her upbringing. Um, so I think that's where the German influence maybe came in with her name. But Ruth, so her name is Ruth. And if you've ever heard of Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Yeah. This is the Ruth associated with Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. That's the Ruth. Look at that. So that name of that restaurant is a mouthful, and we'll get to how that all came about. But Ruth was born on February 5th, 1927. Another little birthday girl. Uh, yes, a birthday girl <laughs> for February. She was born in New Orleans, uh, living most of her childhood in Plaquemines Parish. So New Orleans is broken down into parishes. Right, yeah. Uh, and she was in Plaquemines Parish, and that was her mother's birthplace. So they wanted to be close to mom and mom's family. And uh, so that's where she was born and raised. Um, Again, she was of Alsatian descent. So that definitely influenced uh, her upbringing. Um, She said her upbringing was poor. Uh, Mm -hmm. Her father worked, sold insurance. Her mother was a kindergarten teacher. Um, uh, So not necessarily... I wouldn't say dirt poor, but definitely working poor. Working poor, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, When she was later asked about her upbringing as far as her culinary experiences, Mm -hmm. uh, she said that her mom and her grandmother loved to cook. There was a lot of French influence. There was a lot of Creole fruit food. Yes. You know, it's New Orleans. New Orleans so it's that yes. kind of experience. And they, they loved it. And she loved to eat. Yes. <laughs> so so that was the tie-in. They I were can not, relate to that they last weren't, part. Exactly. <laughs> well, Creole. I mean, French food, it's it's mm, all fabulous. She, they didn't, they weren't, they were not steak people though. So gotcha. that could be the part of the, you know, the working poor, maybe not right. buying high cut steaks mm. uh, and things like that. So she didn't get really experienced with that and didn't really say that she was a big cook growing up. She just enjoyed the food that yeah. mom and grandma made, which is, that's fair. That's what I Gotta did. Gotta start somewhere, right? That's what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's very much like uh, the Barefoot Contessa, I think, um, because you know, very smart uh, when she was growing up uh, in that area. Um, she was in a one-room schoolhouse from oh, second yeah. through fifth grade. And the story is that when that she told she retold the story that when the teacher would meet with the second graders she was a second grader so she would take that lesson mm-hmm. and then the teacher would move on to the third grade and Ruth would move on with the teacher and oh, pick up that lesson and then nice. pick up the fourth lesson and the fifth lesson. Clever girl. She stayed right on top of things and that enabled mm. her to graduate early. Uh, oh, so sweet. she skipped classes and she graduated at the age of 15. Oh, wow. So she was uh, smart as a whip at that time. Um, and then, she, of course, she wanted to go to college, further that education. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that she really knew exactly what she wanted to do. But her parents really didn't have a lot of money to yeah. send her to college. So um, they used money from her brother's GI Bill benefits. Oh. I don't even know if this is. I don't think it's on the up and up. Know. But you know what? Whatever I don't it know. takes for a girl to get an education, <laughs> exactly. I will support. <laughs> uh, so she went to Louisiana State University. LSU Fighting Tigers down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And she's pretty close to home. Um, And so she went at 15. She graduated at 19, which is four years, uh, with um, a major in chemistry and a minor in physics. 
Oh my And nice. she graduated with honors. What? Oh my gosh. So if you think about a gal yeah. in this time frame, so this would have been even in... having the opportunity to learn those two classes. Correct. Correct. And Whoa. she was probably surrounded by a lot of people who were saying things like couldn't and shouldn't. Uh-huh. And she uh, pushed that all aside and graduated with honors. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, so I think you guys are getting an idea mm-hmm. of kind of what what she was like. Um, yeah. Very smart. And she did have the support of her family mm-hmm. um, that enabled her to do some of these things. Um, and she didn't mind being a trailblazer. She didn't mind Sweet. probably being the only gal in Somebody's chemistry and physics <laughs> class. So, so that was that was pretty cool. Um, after college, she did get a teaching job at McNeese State University. That's also in Louisiana, a little bit farther from home. So she was 20 at the time when she started teaching, and um, she said of her experience in teaching um, that was very short lived. Um, so a lot of guys were coming back from the war and using their GI Bill benefits to go back to college. Mm -hmm. Uh, So most everybody that she taught was older than she was uh, and they were ex-military. That's kind of a rough environment for anybody. Mm -hmm. And she said that most of them wanted to really learn and they were concentrating on their studies, but maybe 5 to 10% were the jokesters in the class and maybe a little, you know, inappropriate with her. So um, she only, she, she kind of signed on. It was weird. She signed on mid semester and she made it through that mid semester and through the the following summer semester. Mm -hmm. And then she turned in her teaching credentials. She's She's like, like, I've had enough of this. This was fun, but no. Right. Right. (laughs) No more things. So teaching, teaching fell by the wayside. Um, Shortly thereafter in 1948, she married Rodney Fertel. Uh, she and Rodney had two sons together, Jerry and Randy. Um, together, they opened a racing stable oh. um, because they both shared a love of horses and thoroughbreds. Gotcha. So that's what they wanted to do. What is a racing? Are they breeding horses or they, just caring for So it horse? was, yeah, so I'm both. just curious. Okay. All I right, think yeah. it was both. I think mm-hmm. they were breeding and I think it was just uh, raising thoroughbred racing horses. Uh-huh. Until they were of age. Yes. And then Sweet. tried to sell them and... Make some dough Make some off of them. So to support the stable, I just uh, love horses. So I'm just yes. like thinking retirement gig for me. Yeah. If I can just, is this still a job? I don't know. I'll find out. I think it is still okay. a job. I Sweet. think it is. I just have to um, take care of horses. So for Ruth, um, she earned a thoroughbred trainer's license, oh. and she was the first female in Louisiana to be a thoroughbred trainer. Nice. So again, she's out wow. there kind of on the cutting edge of her, yeah. whatever industry nice. she's working in, uh, with the support of her family. I mean, obviously yeah, uh, yeah. the husband was supportive of that, um, and something that she was passionate about. So yeah. that's what she did. Nice. Um, so she did that, uh, but the marriage unfortunately was short lived. They only, uh, were married about 10 years and they divorced in 1958. So luckily for her, she did receive alimony, but it wasn't enough. So she mm-hmm. knew she was going to have to do something in the working world. Um, she started working as a seamstress for a time. She was mm-hmm. doing some work out of her home and that kind of thing. But she has a de- chemistry and physics mm-hmm. and she's a Correct. seamstress. Correct. Sometimes the world's not fair. Mm-hmm. So we're going to, we're going <laughs> to okay. circle Sorry. around. It'll yes. get, it will okay. get better. Good, I promise. Good, good. I promise it'll get better. Um, but she realized that, yes. you know, she, she was is maybe smarter a than that. Little underutilized. Yes. And she also realized that as working as a seamstress, um, while it may pay her bills, she had two boys who were 
she wanted to be able to send to college yeah, and she absolutely. was not going to be able to send them to college on this, on this income. So mm-hmm. she wanted to make sure that she had a job that would support them. So nice. uh, in 1961, she uh, took a job at Tulane university in the school of medicine oh. and she worked with uh, a physician slash scientist named George Birch. George okay. was very well known in the medical realm and studied in cardiology uh, and had the study of cardiovascular diseases. Wow. So she, became a lab technician and a research assistant to him. So uh, she took the job at Tulane. um, And with the job at Tulane, again, 1961, she was making $4,800 a year. Oh, gotcha. So compared to um, the median income for a white male... Uh, it was forty two hundred dollars. Oh, so she was making a little bit more nice. than what uh, the median income for a white man was. Um, and just for a little bit, this is a fun fact for Katie. Oh, um, oh, oh do you see how she did that? <laughs> I Look, did. Yeah. She good. The, me- the median income <laughs> for a non-white male was twenty three hundred dollars a year. Oh wow! And the median income for women was thirteen hundred dollars a year. Oh my goodness! Thirteen. Hundred? Thirteen hundred dollars a year. And they didn't break wow. women out into yeah. white and non white right. in the in that current census. But gotcha. it was thirteen hundred dollars a year and she was making forty eight hundred. Wow. So as you can see, she was probably a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By that financial standard yes. to be able to support the boys. Yeah, nice. But I think she still wanted something more. Yeah, she was yeah. still looking for something well, more. Well, she's smart as a whip. Right. <laughs> she is. She is. And she's not afraid of trying things. I like yeah. I like that. Kind of bopped around a little bit. Reinvention. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So speaking of reinvention. Yes. Um, so in 1965, she was actually reading a newspaper. You know, because that's what you did back sure. in the day. She was scrolling the, <laughs> scrolling the newspaper. Right. <laughs> and there was an advertisement for Chris's Steakhouse. It was up for sale for $18,000 because oh. Mr. Chris, as she called him, was going to retire. Oh, this is starting to make sense. So she's, <laughs> right, right. So she's looking at that thinking, hmm, this is kind of interesting. Yeah. And then she noted the day that the restaurant had originally opened mm-hmm. was February 5th, 1927. Her birthday. It was her birthday. Oh, wow. So she saw that as a good omen yeah. that this was meant to be. Right. So regardless of what her family, her friends, mm-hmm. her banker, <laughs> her financial advisors told her, Fair. Fair. Uh, she decided that she would mortgage her house wow. and buy this restaurant. Yeah. Why not? Okay. So she's a divorced mother of two. Right. In her 30s. She'd worked as a teacher, <laughs> a seamstress. A medical researcher at the university. Yeah. It was the mid-60s. Right. Probably not the best environment mm-hmm. for True. women entrepreneurs. Never mm-hmm. worked in a restaurant. She had never worked in a restaurant. <laughs> okay, okay. At that point, sure. she did not know how to cook a steak. <laughs> well, I'm still laughing at her going from cardiovascular research yeah. to owning a steakhouse. <laughs> I'm with you. Mm-hmm. 100%. Very, yeah. very yeah. funny. Very funny. <laughs> But guess what? She jumped in full speed ahead. Wow. So I think she you're did. getting a sense of her personality. <laughs> yeah. um, driven, strong, very independent. She had a very yeah. independent streak. Made a decision and she's going for it. She's going for it. Yeah. So the restaurant opened on May 24th, 1965. On that day, they sold 35 steaks at, a, at $5 a piece. 
Whoa. Okay, so I've only been to Ruth Chris once. <laughs> that was not a $5 stick. So that was in 65. Okay. Right? So the prices wow. may have gone up. A little a bit. A little bit. <laughs> Within six months, uh, she was able to double her salary uh, from the days at Tulane. Um, wow. And she so doubled mm, it from the from cardiovascular? Yep. Yep. <gasps> So she was nice. making about $10,000 a year. Whoa. So as you she can see, rich. right, she was getting a <laughs> little bit more comfortable, yeah. a little bit more comfortable with her financial situation. Amazing. Um, so we talked about how smart she was, mm-hmm. um, but she had to, and that she had no restaurant experience. Right. But she, she was going into a, a built-in restaurant. She was. Mm-hmm. She so was. So that is a helpful thing, but at the same time, you can ruin it under new management mm-hmm. very Absolute, easily. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But she, it was her, in her uh, kind of persona... She wanted to know every role. Yeah. So she wanted to know how to wait tables. She wanted to know how to prepare the food. She wanted to know all about customer service. She wanted to know the financial back end, all of that kind of stuff. So she really threw herself into learning the business. Sweet. Um, And she was a, uh, and Lee and I talked about this earlier, uh, her stature. She was five foot two. She was a little hobbit. 110, (laughs) very proper. So uh, I saw an interview with her and, uh, you know, just very proper, legs crossed the appropriate way, blazer, pearls, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, she, but she told the story of how um, when they first bought the business, mm-hmm. um, they did not have uh, an electric um, saw. Oh, um, for the meat? Yes. And she didn't have the funding to yeah. buy processed meat. Okay. So if you can picture this five foot two, hundred and ten pound woman <laughs> doing Rocky, basically with, like a Rocky situation back there with a handsaw, <laughs> handsaw butchering the meat. her meat. Wow, that's what she did. Fierce. to start to start the restaurant. I want pictures. Exactly. I'm sure there are pictures. I did not see them, but I'm sure that there are. Fantastic. And she ended up uh, continuing to be a butcher a butcher for the restaurant for the fi- first 5 years that they were in business. Oh wow. Okay. She she enjoyed it and It probably yeah. was very expensive. Is it expensive? I'm looking at Katie. I'm go I'm leaning onto the culinary lady. <laughs> is a butcher is it a very hard thing or expensive thing to pay for? I would assume so. You know what I mean? It seems like such a specialized thing. Yeah. You yeah, would I cut mean, some cost if you could do I it yourself. I was going to say, any mm-hmm. work somebody else has to do towards your products going right. to cost yeah. you money. Right. So you're definitely. Cut, you're definitely cutting out the middleman. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. cutting yeah. out. And so she's buying the she's buying the cuts of meat. Mm-hmm. I've never been my own butcher. I know you haven't. I've not gone yes, down exactly. that dark road, but <laughs> that would be sounds a dark like road. she worked some frustrations out. That yeah. would also be difficult for you in your veganness right now. Yeah, yeah. It's actually been, I don't know, like four years since I've cooked meat, so. See? There you <laughs> yes. go. Yes. So. I'm just, most of my meat knowledge is from Rocky, just so y'all there know, you okay? Yeah, yeah. So Rocky punching them and yeah. them being in the I don't think she punched them. I don't I think she tenderized. Yeah. Five foot two, 110 pounds. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that she's denting anything. I mean, it's a, you know, you see the butchers all the time. They got these big old yes. forearms. Yes. It's yes. a job yes. that takes some muscle. It is. Yeah, it absolutely. Is. Yeah. yeah. It's just interesting to see the the picture of her, and, and I the, will include. And then the, she's a butcher, and she's a butcher. We'll include the video in the yes. in the oh, show, notes. show notes. Yes, oh, absolutely. So. so you can see the little Hobbit woman. Yes, <laughs> sweet as she can be, so proper. Um, and the other the other very cool thing that she did with her restaurants, uh, she took a very novel approach in staffing the restaurants, and she staffed with single mothers. Because oh, um, she so, was one. Exactly. And she, yeah. Exactly. Kinship. And she said that, that they nice. were hard workers and that they were very reliable. Yes. Um, and not only did she hire them in, but she also made sure that they had uh, room for advancement. So three Aww. of the original waitresses went on to manage their own 
steakhouse oh. as the chain had expanded. That's cool. Yeah. That's so like she... kind of breaking a glass ceiling that's lifting as you climb. Yes. That's all of the things yes. that we talk about. So, yes, yes, I dig it. Loved it. Loved it. She really did enjoy that. So yeah. any anytime she could help, uh, especially, um, you know, uh, women and children. So she mm-hmm. would pay for college or pay for educational experiences for kids that she came in contact with, whether it was um, through extended family, things like that, or whether they worked at the restaurant. Um, She had two boys and she ended up with five grandsons and she talked about how um, they all went away to college, but Mm -hmm. in the summer they were there bussing tables oh, at the nice. steakhouse, Sweet. learning the business. Oh, and cute. not not necessarily they were going to go into the business, but they were working their way it through was, college. Yes, exactly. I like it. Yeah. 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 So uh, so Ruth, uh, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. So it, and it also became, um, it's high end, as, yes. we, oh, as yeah. we talked about. It's mm-hmm. expensive. It, it, came, yeah. it was upscale dining in yeah. that area. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was kind of the to go if there was an event, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. elections and uh, events in town. Everybody poured into the steakhouse. Mm-hmm. Fats Domino lived in that area and was a regular, would oh! come in. I love Fats. Loved, loved it. Yeah. So uh, so that was all at the original location that she had purchased, the $18,000 purchase. Wow. Um, and then in 1976, the first location burnt down. Oh, the original. The original. Okay. Got it. So she had already acquired Was about it a grease fire? I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I'm sure that's what it was. I'm sure that's I'm sure what it didn't it was. help. <laughs> right. Exactly. But yeah. Um, she'd already acquired a space about four blocks away and she was envisioning it being a special events venue. Oh, okay. Uh, however, when the first place caught fire, within seven days, they were up and running in the secondary location. Oh, so wow. So she was... Dang. No pun intended. Chop, chop, chop. Yeah. (laughs) Let's get in the new building. Um, So here's where the weird naming, because it's always a mouthful to say Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Right. Where did that come from? Yeah. When she bought the first place, it was Chris Steakhouse. Yeah. That name could not go to another location. It was Chris Steakhouse at the original location. And when it burnt to the ground, kind of the name burnt with it. Gotcha. So when she built it another location or opened it another location... According to the contract, she had to call it something else. Oh. So she called it Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Oh. That way she could show her investment, but she can also mm-hmm. show, she because didn't, she had the name mm-hmm. the name recognition. And she didn't lose that marketing, Correct. basically. Mm-hmm. She Correct. needed the marketing, but yep. she needed a new name. Oh, see, like, I thought she was putting her stamp on it. Like, this is mine now. Instead, it's, well, you need a new name. Just put right. mine on it. Right. Whatever. Let's right. go. <laughs> and I think it was a pretty... Fast decision, right? Yeah. They opened in seven days, and she had to come up with a new name. Sure. And she hated it. She hated the new name that they came <laughs> up with, but she said it kind of stuck, so they just they just went with it. So it's cool. just kind of very funny. That does um, make sense. The new location, it had uh, two shotgun shotgun homes behind it. She ended up buying those homes, uh, renovating them, and she lived there until she died. Oh, right wow. behind the restaurant. So wow. everybody always kind of talks about at one point in their life having that dream of having a shop or a restaurant downstairs on Main Street, and then you live in the apartment above it. it so she kind of did that, but lived behind the restaurant. Pretty close. Yeah, Aww. pretty close. Adorbs. <laughs> uh, she ended up with 80 locations in the U.S., and she did branch out overseas. Wow. Uh, and she became known as the First Lady of American Restaurants or the Empress of Steak. Oh, my oh, God, the Empress of Steak. Does How's she that? have a crown? I bet she did at the time. Oh, I bet she did. That's lovely. Uh, she continued to be very involved in the daily operations, even as she got older. Uh, in 1997, she was 70 years old, and she decided that she would visit 42 of her restaurants that oh, year. 42. 42. <laughs> I <laughs> I saw that and I'm like 42. It's, it's definitely she knows. Yes, yeah. exactly. 
That's a Leah fact right there. There you go. There's your Leah fact. Uh-oh. Bonnie, I'm running out of room. I'll have to come up with something. But here's the thing. She said that she wanted to, quote, unquote, smell how they were doing because oh. the restaurant business is all about that smells. aroma. So she yeah. she went in. That's why Jimmy Jones has free smells. There you the go. rest of it. No, I'm just kidding. I won't. <laughs> so uh, she thought. Looking back at seventy visiting forty two locations probably was a little much. Yeah, so, but, but I she love was it. still yeah she was still involved. Aww, um, cute. And then in her uh, early seventies she sold the chain to a private equity firm out of Chicago. Gotcha. But she retained interest uh, of just over twenty percent until her death. So ah. she was still involved, still staying up with things. Sweet. Um, in two thousand five the company uh, became a public company. They relocated to Florida. Um, like and continued. And they con- retired to Florida? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it eventually became, instead of just the steakhouse, it grew into Ruth's Hospitality Group. Oh, so it, now okay. it's a restaurant a focused company, and they have over 100 locations, 5,000 plus employees, and a revenue of nearly $500 million. Wow. So that's, that's the empire that she built yeah. uh, and retained interest in until she died. Um, shortly after, yes, shortly after she, um, she sold, um, off to the private equity firm, she was diagnosed with lung cancer. So she'd been Uh, a very heavy smoker for 50 years. Gotcha. Um, and then in 2002, at the age of 75, she passed away. Gotcha. That's a long life though. 75 in a restaurant business. Yes. That can just drag you down. I mean, I remember when Katie was working at a bakery and I was worried about (laughs) Katie just falling apart. Right. It's just, it's hard on your body. It is. So yeah. And then if you look at it, when she started in the sixties, again, a woman restaurateur Mm -hmm. in a steak business. Right. Um, Which is manly man. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, you know, she had it rough, but I think she had the personality that she, she looked petite, she wore pearls, but I'm thinking the, woman could kick ass if she needed to uh-huh. that's that's what i'm thinking so yeah, I don't like it um <laughs> she was buried okay Bonnie fact. This uh, is the bon- uh, this is the Bonnie fact, and it's not really Bonnie the Bonnie fact. It's not it, creepy at all. I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce it. I'm gonna introduce it, and then we'll get to the Bonnie fact. Okay, okay. Uh, yes. And I literally thought of this when I when I was doing the research. But um, you didn't know this whole Bonnie Lee right, and Katie fact was know, a thing, and so I, Katie I invented it. Got it. I saw the tie-in. Um, <laughs> she is buried in a cemetery in New Orleans, and she had this lavish. Uh, mausoleum built. Oh, of course. Yes. And Guts it's, too. you know, uh, it's granite and stained glass and it, stained and, glass. Yes. Right? Yes. Wow. And, uh, it was etched inside the building or etched on the building. It says it's a wonderful world. Oh. Um, so 150 people attended the dedication of the mausoleum and okay. father Bob Massett blessed the building by sprinkling beer on it. Nice. So there you go. That's that's the Bonnie. That's the that's the Bonnie. Maybe it should be the Katie back because Katie's yeah, Katie's true. the beer the, yeah. the beer oh, gal. Oh, but, but I like that. Though. Um, Sprinkle me kindly, ladies. That's how I want to go. Okay. Go. Sprinkle the there beer. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Blessed be. Exactly. <laughs> I don't care if it's PBR. <laughs> Champagne of beers would be you know yeah. extravagant, but you know you did live you, the high life. You do what you need to do. That's <laughs> what I will say. You find whatever's on the side of the road. <laughs> pay that tribute so i think you all can see you know what i what i liked about her um Definitely. she she was just one of those women that um for one i don't think that you you should 
you could tell her you can't or you shouldn't. Right. Because I think she's just going to throw that by the wayside. If she's mm-hmm. got her mind made up, she she would have done it. Right. Um, and then just all of the things that she either did first or she led the charge in, she wasn't afraid to be kind of that trailblazer her entire life. So um, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed that. And then uh, smart, determined, driven, strong, independent, um, not, not only dedicated to her family, but like you said, Leah, kind of mm-hmm. reaching back and, and pulling yeah. folks along with her. Yeah. So, it wasn't um, just for her benefit. She yes. also went into the community, but she also looked out for other women who yes. were just in the same situation that she was when she started the whole thing. Exactly. So, exactly. Nice. And, uh, I enjoyed that. And especially when she said they were, when she was staffing, she was like, they're hardworking, you know, and they're kind of committed to the work. And I just don't see, um, Mr. Chris, right, the previous mm-hmm. owner, Mr. and Chris. I don't know Mr. Chris, but I'm right. thinking that he would not have done the same, taken the same approach, right. you know, staffing with with you know women, single single moms who who mm-hmm. just really needed a, a helping hand, and it was fabulous that she did that, and she grew the business business to such a fabulous, crazy level, yeah, yeah that's crazy nice. level. So they are they are really known, um, mm-hmm. obviously for their they're wonderful steaks. Um, and you know, she would talk about it just to hear her talk about how you prepared it. Um, mm-hmm. you could tell it was, it was now her passion. So while yeah. she didn't grow up eating steak, it, it became her passion. Um, right. and, she, and her passion was, was in practice through, through her restaurant. So I have, I want, I want to end the episode on that beautifulness. Okay. But I have a weird fun fact okay. that I feel oh. like if I, I feel like if I don't share this weird, wonderful fun fact, it'll never come up again on this show. Mm. So um, I worked for um, VH1's uh, Pepsi Fan Jam when uh, the Super Bowl was in town. Nice. So when Indianapolis had the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. I was a production assistant. We call them peons. Basically, I had a piss job, but I drove a van. So my job was to drive a van and to bring people from either their hotels to set or to um, the airport and back. Yep. Well, their emergency call came in during the recording of the show and they said, the All-American Rejects want to go to Ruth Chris. Leah, I'm going to need you to take the band. <laughs> nice. So I took the All-American Rejects, sweetest little boys. I'm just saying, also cute as fucking shit. So cute, so nice. One of them called me ma'am, and I let it go. <laughs> I think because he's Southern, and he knew that that was supposed to be. Right, right. But they were all so nice and super just like, yeah. So I hear an All-American Rejects song, and I go, I'm going to take these boys to Ruth Christie. That's <laughs> awesome. What a fun story. Weird, 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 uh, Weird yes, fun fact. So. Yes. But they enjoyed. I, I didn't have good. to pick them up. Somebody else had to pick good. them up. But good. I just had to drop them off. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, good taste. Good taste. And right. For the for the boys. Exactly. <laughs> Very beautiful. Do you want to wrap us up with the episode closed, darling? Okay. Well, that wraps it up for us this week. Join us next week for another cool woman of history as Gal's Guide podcast continues. Thanks for listening. For show notes, links, and images from this week's show, visit galsguide.org. Want exclusive stuff like deleted bits and major bloopers? Become a Gals Guide patron today. Thanks for listening.